Yeah, good afternoon, Mamlaka Raka. Yes, our scripture reading today comes from the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs again. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I would like to request you to stand in honor of God's word. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Verse 6. In all your ways. All your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Pastor Mudoni, for reading for us the scripture, turning our attention to what's happening there. But also let me appreciate uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Jasmine for leading us this afternoon so well. Thank you so much. It's, uh, it's, it's been an amazing service. Uh, but what about the worship team? Wasn't that fantastic? Oh my, oh my, that was, that was something else. It's always wonderful to be able to be in the house of the Lord and to be able to put our hearts together and uh, worship uh, him. For those of you who were with us last week, uh, you recall that we started to talk about trusting in God and what that uh, means for us. Uh, and you remember we talked much about um, uh, what it means to trust God with all our heart and not to lean on our own uh, understanding. Well, today I want us to pick up from where we stopped uh, last uh, week, and I want us to look at the next part of that verse, because it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then it says, in all your ways, Acknowledge him. Amen? And he will direct your path. So I want us to look at uh, what does it uh, mean to acknowledge him in all of our ways. The word, or rather the Hebrew word translated acknowledge is the word yadar. Uh, it is a root word, and because it's a root word, it can be translated in... Uh, different ways. In fact, in the almost 1,000 times that this word is used in the Old Testament, it does mean different things at different times. For example, some of you probably have read the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, the Bible tells us that Adam, Yada, knew Eve. But when you come to the book of Proverbs, it says, acknowledge the Lord, which is, again, know that the Lord is God. So the word, as you read it in the Bible and as it's translated, uh, you'll find that the word yada uh, uh, means quite a number of things. However, in most Bible translations, the word yada conveys the idea of knowing or acknowledging someone, knowing or acknowledging someone. Now, we know that in our day today, uh, it is very easy to show someone acknowledgement or, to, or, or to, 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 to acknowledge, so to speak, their presence without necessarily being interested in them. It is possible to acknowledge, to recognize them, with, and, and yet at the same time have absolutely nothing to do with them. Unfortunately, that is the same attitude that is reflected when it comes to us acknowledging God. You've probably been at a political rally. 
If you haven't, you've probably seen uh, a political rally on TV like I have. I've never been to a political rally. I hope that in the next five years, I can be able to go to a political rally. But, uh, but if you have never been to a political rally, you've never seen, uh, uh, even watched a political rally on TV, you've probably attended a wedding ceremony. And someone will stand up and uh, to give a speech. And uh, what they usually will say first, what comes out of their mouth, they will say something like, God is good. And the crowd will roll back and say, all the time. And then they will say, all the time, God is good. Now, you know, it is possible uh, to say those words and yet have absolutely nothing to do with the goodness of God. Because if you listen to most of these speeches uh, uh, or these individuals as they give their speech, once they have said those words, God is good, all the time God is good, what they say next may have absolutely nothing to do with God or the goodness of God. And I want to believe the reason is that in their day-to-day life, they have absolutely nothing to do with God. Even though when they stand in public, they will acknowledge the goodness of God. But in their day-to-day life, they do not know or they do not acknowledge God in the way that they carry on their lives. Many of us, unfortunately, that is the same attitude that we bring into our acknowledging God, which simply has to do with almost being polite to God uh, and not necessarily be genuine in our acknowledgement, in our recognition of who he is and how important he is in our lives. So as I read the words of Proverbs chapter 3, I'm hearing the call, genuinely acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. And of course the question for us this afternoon is this, how can we genuinely acknowledge the Lord God in our lives? so that he can direct our path in a world that is full of twists and turns, ups and downs in terms of valleys and hills? How can we genuinely trust him so that we can be able to gain this uh, benefit of being directed by him? I want to suggest that uh, the first and most foundational way of acknowledging God in our lives is to accept without any reservation, without any doubt, that he is God. That he alone is God. In the book of Genesis, we are introduced to God. And the writer of Genesis says to us, before anything, before the heavens, in terms of the sky, the sun, before the earth, before there was any life, he says, in the beginning was God. And then he continues to say, and this God said, let there be, and there was. And he created, he brought into being everything, and he brought into being not only everything, but he breathed life into the earth, into the world, including breathing life into us human beings. So the proverb writer would say that the first thing, the, the, the foundation of uh, acknowledging God is first to acknowledge in your mind and in your heart without any reservation That he alone is God. That he is sovereign. That he is supreme. And yes, above all, the Bible tells us that he is Jehovah God. God of Abraham. God of Jacob. God of Isaac. And he 
alone is the source of life. So I am going to acknowledge this God. If I'm going to acknowledge this God, I must come to the place where I acknowledge without any doubt that the life I have here on earth comes directly from him. And that without him, I would not be alive. That is the first and foundational place to begin our journey of acknowledging God in the way that he needs to be acknowledged. Why is it important for us to do that? Especially in our context. You see, we live in a world where there are many religions, which means there are many gods in our world today. And uh, it's not uncommon to come across or to come in contact with someone who will say to you, that is the God of your religion. This is the God of my religion. That is the God of their religion. And unfortunately, many Christians around the world get caught up with that. And in the process, they half-heartedly acknowledge God of the Bible. They begin to wrestle with this whole issue. What about the God of the Hindus? What about Buddha? What about Aura Mazda, the Iranian years back God? What about this God? And what about that God? And they get stuck there. And as a result, the devil working within their minds they come to the place where they are not acknowledging God as the only true God, the creator of heaven and earth. So it becomes important, if you are going to be a man, a woman, a boy or a girl who trusts in God, that you first establish once for all that he, God of the Bible, who has revealed himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is the only true living God, the creator of heaven and earth, including my own life. That's where you begin. This is the truth that God wanted to instill in the hearts of the Israelites. When he brought them out of the land of Egypt, and brought them through the wilderness for close to 40 years into the promised land. God's main point was to instill in the heart of the Israelites that there is only one God, creator of heaven and earth and giver of life. So when the children of Israel came to the Jordan River, and they were about to cross the Jordan and begin to enter into the promised land of Canaan. God wanted to remind them again of how critical, of how important it was for them to enter into the promised land with no doubt, with no reservations, that he alone is God and besides him there is no other. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse 35, God spoke to the Israelites and he said to the Israelites in, in chapter and verse 35, he said, you were shown these things. Which things were they shown? They were shown the power of God at work in delivering them from Egypt, walking with them in the wilderness. You recall how he parted the, uh, the, 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 the Red Sea. You recall how he provided manna for them. Now he's telling them, you are about to enter into the, into the land of Canaan. And all these things that you have witnessed up to where you are now were done so, so that you might, listen to this, you might know, yada, that's our word, so that you might acknowledge that the Lord is God. And besides him, there is no other God. And then in verse 39, sorry, he says, acknowledge him, which is again, get to know him. And take heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other God Israel. You see, this was part of the covenant that God made with the people of Israel. He wanted in that covenant the people of Israel to understand that 
They belong to him and he, their God. That was the foundation of that covenant. So that as they go into this promised land, they go knowing that we have made an agreement with God. And the agreement is that we are going to be his people and he is going to be our God. Now, some years back, my wife and I stood at the altar for obvious reasons. We we were not repenting of any sins that we had committed. We stood at the altar because we were going to exchange vows and become husband and wife. The person who was uh, leading us to make the vows, the pastor who was leading us to make the vows, walked us through the vows. And one statement that we made to one another as part of our commitment to one another was forsaking all others and clinging or clinging only to you and you alone. Come on, are there no married people here? Or they don't use that, that statement again. In any case, once we made those words or we exchanged those words, I said them first and then she followed sweet. Once we made those statements to each other, we established what I call an exclusive relationship. A relationship that would now be, uh, that now would be an, what, uh, an exclusive relationship between her and myself. Meaning that from that day, there is no one, no human being on earth that has a right to her affection except me. That's true, isn't it? (laughs) That is exactly what God was saying to the people of uh, Israel. We are making a covenant, Israel. You are going to be my people, and I am going to be your God. Our relationship is going to be an exclusive relationship. Israel, you cannot go out and worship false gods, gods that do not exist. I am the only God that you are to be connected with. But you see, the problem with the Israelites was this. The problem is that they did not divorce God. The problem is that they did not disconnect completely from God. The problem with the Israelites is that they used to add other gods on top of the one true God. And you know, God would have none of that. God said to the people of Israel, either you are going to worship me as your only true God, or you don't worship me at all. Because I am the only God, the only creator of heaven and earth, and you belong to me, and I am your God. In fact, in chapter in Exodus chapter 20, God tried to express how serious this commitment, this, re, this covenant was, this uh, 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 exchange of vows, if you could say, between him and the people of Israel was. And he says in verse 5 of chapter 20, he says, Israel, you shall not serve nor worship other gods. Because if you do that, it's going to make me jealous. If you walk away as you enter into the land of Canaan and you get seduced by other gods and you begin to worship those gods, I am going to be driven to jealousy. You know, when my wife and I exchanged those vows we immediately were ushered into a relationship called a marriage relationship. But not long from that time, we realized that there were a lot of other things in our lives that were uh, fighting for our affection. One of the things that uh, uh, we soon realized is that even though we were counseled and told that when you get married you are going to have everything in common. You're not going to have her things and uh, uh, and then my things. 
You're going to put everything together in one pot because, and because the Bible says, and the two became what? Became one. But we realize that, uh, that whereas that was true and the principle that we, uh, that we embraced, there were some things that were hard things. And there were some things that were my things that make life possible. I soon realized that even on the bed that we sleep in, she has her own side. We never really decided that this is the side you sleep and this is the side I sleep. But I realized that, you know, one day I'm standing at the side that she sleeps and she's asking me, what are you doing on the side of my bed? But one of the things that, uh, we, uh, that, that, that I soon realized that was a, com- a complete uh, competition between uh, her affection for me and my affection for something, someone else was, a, or something, <laughs> something else was, the, was a car that we bought, a second car. And that car became my car because the first car, you know, because she's so special, the first car was her car. So the second car... <laughs> Was my, was my car. And after a short time, this car and I started to fall in love. <laughs> I call her a she, although my car looks like a guy, but she is a she. She is loving to me. I get to drive this car either to the office or to work, and all I need to do is just turn on something, and it will lead me in worship. And I will sing in the car as the car sings with me. One day, we are, I'm coming from um, Kisi, and uh, as I was coming from one of, uh, I was coming from a funeral of one of our members. We, I reach in Narok, and my friend, I call her Landis, uh, became sick. If you have ever driven that route, the narrow uh, to Maimaki route, you know how that road is up and down. I didn't know what to do, but I asked Landis, would you please, please just try as much as possible to get me to Nairobi. We can't get stuck in Narok of all places. And Landis said, okay, I'll try. Because Landis was having a problem with her turbo. Landis tried, she climbed the hills and went down to the valleys and hills, and finally we arrived in Maimahu. And there were hills ahead of us, and Landis said, I can't go any further. And I begged Landis, Landis, you must, we must get home. She said, okay, and she's struggled, struggled, and we arrived home. And immediately we arrived home, and this is not a makeup story. Landis collapsed. <laughs> the lights went off. I tried to start uh, Landis, and he was, uh, sorry, she, not a he. <laughs> Landis was, was, was kaput. So the next day, I called one of the best doctors in town to come and have a look at, uh, at Landis. And he informed me, well, she has a problem with turbo. And uh, it is very costly to get a new turbo for Landis. Not long before that time, my wife, Modoni, who we made that covenant and we said, forsaking all others, uh, had asked me if we could purchase something that was in her benefit and I said, you know what, uh, we can wait. Uh, I know that that's an important thing, but we can wait. But once I, get, I got the word from the doctor that Landis needs a new turbo, I found money. <laughs> I found money. Now, it is very possible that uh, my wife would become jealous of my relationship with this car. Because when it needs to be cleaned, I clean it myself. When it needs to be brushed, I brush it myself. Sometimes she'll ask me, can you rub my shoulder? And I'll say, oh, I'm so tired. But not for <laughs> It's very possible for her to become jealous. 
and take a <laughs> and take a nail and flatten the tires or even scratch the paint off. Now, I'm sure that my wife wouldn't do that. But what I'm trying to say here is she and I made a covenant in which I said to her that forsaking all others and clinging only and only to you, I meant that I was forsaking all other things and that she was going to be the most important human being in my life. And that is what God was saying. Because in my failure to live up to that covenant, I may drive her into being jealous. And that is what God was saying to the people of Israel. We have made a covenant, and the covenant is that you are to recognize me, you are to know me, you are to acknowledge me as your God, as your creator. And besides me, there is no one else. But when you worship other gods, when you run to other gods, you make me jealous. And then he gives the implications of his jealousy. And it's, it's not good. It's not pretty. As he was telling to the people of Israel. He talks about uh, curses uh, that will follow their generation from their generation because they have violated the covenant that he made with them. You see, the Israelites had spent a considerable amount of time in Egypt. We are told that they were there for 430 years. Now, that's a long time. 430 years is a long time to change a generation thinking and mentality and whether, and, and, and even though people like Joseph came knowing God, Jacob came to Egypt knowing God, this Israelite had totally forgotten God, uh, Yahweh God, and they had gotten into the habit of worshipping the Egyptian gods. That was their, 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 their life. And so what God wanted to do was to instill in the minds and in the hearts of the Israelites that they needed to acknowledge him as the only true living God, creator of heaven and earth, and that besides him there is no any other God. He is Yahweh Jehovah. He wanted them to know, and that's why he sent the ten plagues to punish the people of Egypt. But the intent was not only just to punish the people of uh, Egypt, the intent was also to prepare the people of Israel, to prepare them in their minds, to prepare them in their hearts, that he alone is God. You know, the people of Egypt were religious. They were great worshipers, and they had several gods that they worshipped. One of the gods that they worshipped, who they considered to be the god of life and death, was Osiris. Now, Osiris' bloodstream was the Nile River. So God brought a plague on the Nile River and turned the whole Nile River into blood to show the people of Israel that he is greater, he is superior than Osiris, who actually was not in existence, was just a false god. So he brings blood into this Nile River. And, that he, and in doing that, he demonstrated before the Egyptians and before the Israelites that he is in control of the Nile. He is the creator of the Nile. And that Osiris has absolutely nothing to do with the Nile River. So he is the source of life. And he is uh, the, the one that controls even when it comes to matter of life coming to an end. He is the Lord of life and he is the Lord of death. But the Egyptians also had another god called Ra. Now, Ra was considered the god of light. He was the sun god. So when, when, when night would come, they would sleep. But the next day, Ra is the one who brought light to the people of Egypt. Well, God wanted to, to prove to the Israelites and to the Egyptians that he is the lord of light. He is the one who put the sun where the sun is. He's the one who brings up mornings and afternoons and evenings and nights. And no one else can be able to do that because he is Jehovah, the creator of the entire universe. So what Yahweh, Jehovah did is that he brought darkness, total darkness on the land of Egypt. 
there was total darkness. And the people of Egypt were crying out to Ra. Ra, bring light. But Ra was nowhere to be found. God was proving to the Israelites, look, this Ra God that you've been worshipping over these years is a non-existent God, is a false God, is a God of the mind, and he is not active, and there is nothing that this God can do. I am the God who brings day, and I am the God who brings night. But they also had another God called um, Haggad. Haggad was the uh, God of fertility and life-giving. He, 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 he was uh, built in form of a frog. And so the Egyptians used to worship this frog. Uh, if they wanted to have children, they would come to Haggad and pray, Haggad, give us children. What God did, he wanted to mock and in the process establish in the hearts of the Israelites and the Egyptians that there is only one God who is the God of fertility, God who creates life. So he sent frogs. He sent hundreds, no, thousands. Actually, he sent millions of frogs to the land of Egypt. There were frogs everywhere. If you went to your bedroom, there was a frog. If you went to the kitchen, there was a frog. When the family would sit uh, to, to eat uh, food together, there was frogs on the table. When you went to the bathroom, there frogs were waiting for you. It was a horrible experience. And many of you would agree with me that of among, or, uh, among the many things that our good God created, I wonder what the frog really... <laughs> it's probably one of, the, one of the most ugly pieces of uh, animals that our God created. But I'll, I'll ask you, Lord, why, why frogs, really? Why frogs? But anyway, the Egyptians had a total different view from mine when it comes to frogs, and they were worshipping these frogs. So God brings millions of frogs, and the frogs were a bother to the people of Egypt. God saying to them, I am the creator of frogs. This frog that you worship is not a true, or is not a God. I am God, and I alone am creator of heaven and earth, and everything that moves on the earth. That is our God. Has he prepared the people of Israel? Has they are about now to enter into the land of Canaan? And you see, God wanted to instill that in their minds and in their hearts so that they would never, never have any doubt as to who is the source of life and who is going to sustain them in this new land of Canaan. Because you see, in Egypt, they had gods, and those gods were mainly gods of fear. You know, when you'd uh, come before a god that is structured like a frog, that was scary. They were scary gods. They were supposed to elicit fear so that people would obey and would worship them. In Canaan, the gods were not fearful, or fearfully made by humans. The Canaanite gods appealed to the flesh. The Canaanite gods were gods of gluttony, uh, gods of drunkenness, gods of all kinds of sexual perversions. And God knew that whereas the gods of Egypt were scary and fearful, the gods of Canaan would be hard to deal with. Because in the temple or in the temples in Canaan, the people would go there to worship and there would be a party, food, drunkenness, and then they would finish the day with something else. And God knew the heart of man and the flesh of man and how easy it is for them to be drawn to these pleasures of the gods of, of uh, Canaan. So before they entered into Canaan, God wanted again to remind them and to instill in them this wonderful truth. And uh, he 
gave them to, he gave to them what has come to be known as the Shema of Israel. Where God, through Moses, said, O Israel, know that the Lord is God. He alone or he is one. And then God said through Moses that great test commandment of all, which is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we could say that as the proverb writer takes those words, he says, acknowledge him in all your ways. Acknowledge him in your career. Because later on, uh, God would say to the people of Israel, know or acknowledge that God is the one who gives you the power to make wealth. So, the product of your hand, the earnings that you make, you are never to forget as someone who is committed to acknowledging God in all your ways, God will tell the Israelites. You are going into the promised land. You'll be prosperous in the promised land. But don't you ever forget that the milk and honey and all the fruits of the land of, uh, of Canaan, as you work and as the land is productive, don't you ever forget that I am the one who gives you the power to make wealth. So, when it comes to acknowledging God, God would have said, acknowledge me in your career. Acknowledge me in your earnings. Don't let your earnings, don't let your wealth rise up above who I am. God in your life, the only true living God. And so we could say in our day, are you an electrician? Are you a mechanic? Are you a constructor? Are you a house help? Are you a clerical manager or clerk somewhere? God, if he is acknowledged in all your ways, he's going to be acknowledged in this way. You'll say that this is the career that God has given to me. He gives me the power to use my education. He gives me the power to use my understanding, my knowledge for building his kingdom. It's not, it's not all about me, but it's about him. And therefore, there is no time in my life where my career is going to rise up above the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because I acknowledge him as the Lord of my life in all of my ways. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, God would even say to the people of Israel, you are to acknowledge him in your families. You recall after he had made that powerful statement when he said, oh Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your uh, strength. He said to them, and these truths that you have heard, you are going to put them in your heart, and then you are going to impress them on your children. When you are in the house, you are to talk to them about these truths. Which truths? That there is only one God who rules in the universe. There is only one God who is the source of life. This is a truth that you are to instill, not only in your own heart, but you are to instill this truth in your children. I want to believe that that's why Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, said as he was instructing the people of Israel, as they were just now entering into the promised land. And he said to the people, you choose this day whom you shall serve. Uh, choose either to serve the Canaanite gods or choose to serve Yahweh. And then he made a statement, a powerful statement that was not only designed for the people of Israel, but was designed for his own people. Because he said, you choose whom you serve, but for me, or has for me, and my household, 
my children, and everybody who is part of my household, we are going to serve the Lord. And so I can imagine Joshua one day waking up in the morning. It's a day to go to the temple to worship and to honor God and to, and to gather with the rest of the Israelites and proclaim that God is God alone. And he wakes up in the morning and, uh, and finds his teenage son or his, t- or, or his teenage daughter still asleep and asks, that, uh, and asks his teenage uh, girl or t- teenage boy, do you know what day it is today? Today is the day we go to the temple to worship our God. And maybe the teenager might say, oh, dad, I don't feel like going to the temple today. How about if we did this online thing, dad? How about if you just allowed me to take a day off today from church? And Joshua would turn to that teenager, would turn to that young man and say, listen, today is a very special day, son. Today is a very special day, uh, daughter. Today is when we gather together. You see, son, daughter, you see us worship here as a family. But today is the day that we set aside to gather with all the other uh, Israelites to proclaim, to to lift our voices up to the God, Jehovah, who made us, who provides for us, who delivered us from Egypt into this promised land. Wake up so that we can be able to go and worship the Lord together. And the teenager might say, oh, maybe hard about if I do next, next week. Then Joshua would say to this teenager, listen, there is coming a time when you will have your own house. And when you have your own house, you can do whatever you want to do in your own house. But as for me and my house, which includes you, we shall serve the Lord. And part of serving the Lord is to ensure that we set a day aside when we go together, together as a family, to join all other families, to proclaim that Yahweh is the only God. There is no any other God. He is the source of life. And son, listen, you better get out of bed quickly because we need to be at the temple before the Levites or or before the worship team comes to the stage and begin to sing. Listen, son, get out of bed immediately. We need to be in the temple worshiping God. We want to be fast. We don't want to be caught up in traffic and start fighting with people on the parking lot as to find the, 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 the best parking. We want, when the worship team gets on stage, the first words, because there are words that they say, how many of you know what the worship team normally says first before the worship starts? You don't know. But they do say some really cool things. So you want to be in the temple five minutes or ten minutes before the worship team comes. So when they begin to worship, when she says, let us stand up and worship Yahweh, you are there and you stand up and if that day, are those, some of those days that uh, Reverend Maora has allowed us to bring children into the service, you stand up with your sons and daughters and you begin to worship the Lord God Almighty. No, Joshua would not at- arrive in the temple after they have done the fourth, fifth song. It, it, it didn't work for him because for him and his household... When it came to worship the Lord, it was a matter of being there ahead of the time and worship the Lord. But not not, not only that, before they leave home, Joshua would say to his sons, go into the pen and I want you to pick up the fattened sheep or the fattened goats. And the sons would ask, Father, why should we take our fat sheep to the church? Or why should we take, to the temple actually, why should we take our fat goat to the temple? And Joshua would say to his sons, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that we 
are to honor, which is another word for yada, to acknowledge. We are to acknowledge our God with all our wealth and with the best part of everything we produce. Son, that's why we are taking this fattened sheep to the temple. That's why, Father, I am carrying this envelope. That's why, Father, uh, that's why, Son, I am carrying this envelope with us. I just want you to look at what's in that envelope. Oh, wow, Daddy, that's a lot of money you are taking to church. Yes, because, Son, everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that you own in your room, it is huge over God. We acknowledge that he is our provider. We know that he is our provider. And he says that he will bless us, that he will do stuff for us, that he will protect us. But we are doing this because we love him, because of who he is. We are going, yes, to take all this to him, to worship him, and to praise him, and to adore him. And when you arrive in the temple with your, with, with your, with your sacrifice, with that goat, with that sheep, and the musicians begin to sing, you will stand and you will worship the Lord. You will need to remind yourself constantly, I didn't come to a musical concert. I did not come to listen to the Levites play the harp and to play the drums and to play all those kind of things. I came so that together with the rest of the people of God, I may join their, uh, their, we may join our hearts together and our voices together and proclaim that Yahweh is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent Jesus Christ to come into this world, who died for us, and because of his death, we have life and, have, and we have life and we have it in everlasting or we have life everlasting because of his sacrificial death on the cross. So that when, we be, when people begin to sing, you sing loud. I know that uh, we men can be bad singers, except for the few who sang last week. Most of us can sing out of tune. And so sometimes you are singing in your heart. Don't sing in your heart. Because if your son or daughter is standing beside you, they need to hear you sing. And you sing loud. Why are you singing loud? Because you want to proclaim. The words of uh, our worship today were powerful words. You want to proclaim to your sons. You want to proclaim to your daughter that you believe every word in those songs. And that you're not just going through the motions. That you truly mean every word that is being sung. And you do that, you can lift up your hands. And if you become emotional, you can allow your tears to come out. And if your son should ask you, Papa, why were you crying in church today? You can tell your son, look here, son. I was thinking about you and, uh, and how precious and how important you are to me. And I realized when we were in church that it is God who gave you me. That is so special. And so when I started to thank God, son, I did that from the very depths of my heart. I thought about you and tears came out of my eyes. And your son would say, wow, that is beautiful, son. By the way, this goes for you also who may not have children. Or maybe you are not married and you are a single person. You also, God is saying, acknowledge me in all your ways, in everything that you do. Acknowledge me, especially when it comes to the matters that pertain Two relationships. You see, before the people of Israel entered into Canaan, God gave them a stunning warning. And he said, if you are going to worship me and me alone, you must be careful not to bring into your life influences that may influence you in the direction of the false gods. That is the mistake that King Solomon did. And he was led astray. So God said, do not give your daughters to them for marriage or your sons to marry their daughters because they are going to lead you astray. And so we say, God was simply saying, don't marry, don't get into a relationship with people who worship idols people who have absolutely 
nothing to do with God. People who have not submitted themselves to the will of God. People who cannot proclaim that Jesus is the Lord of my life. But I know what someone is going to say. No, I know of a relative of mine who said that it is, I am a Christian, but I can bring this person who is not a Christian into my life and I will try to influence her or influence him to be a Christian. And also, I also noticed that my uncle is not a believer, but his wife is a believer, but they're having a great and fantastic marriage. And I said, that is not the issue. I know a lot of people who marry, people who have absolutely nothing to do with God. And they have great marriages. So if you ever counsel people, don't tell them that if you get married to an unchristian, you're going to have a bad marriage. That's not the deal. That's not the deal. The deal is God wants us, because he would say the same thing in Corinthians, do not be equal yoked with non-believers. Basically, the idea was, I want you to have someone you get married to who both of you have a vision of who God is. You have a vision of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like, and both of you are committed to walking together in honoring and glorifying God so that you don't come to your wife and say, let us go to church, and she says, I've got a charmer, or I've got one of these things that, uh, that women love to do. But she too, long before you wake up, she is already up. She has made breakfast. Why? Because we all are getting ready to go to church. Because we have one vision. And that vision is to honor and to glorify God. That's why God insists on us not being equally yoked with those that do not have a heart for God. We could correctly say that to acknowledge the Lord in all our ways has to do with us taking everything about us, whether it is our career, whether it is our marriage relationship, whether it is our family, and placing them in God's hand and living our lives in such a way that it is, shows who the Lord of our life is, and that is Jehovah, Yahweh, God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, please join me. In all your ways. Ah, you can say a little bit. You should have been here this morning. The group that comes here this morning almost blew this place up because they said, they said it this way, and I want you to say it that way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. Let's meet next week to see what it means for him to direct our path. God's blessings to you.